Our sermon this week is out of Malachi chapter 4, the coming of Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, here live, right in the midst of the 10 days of awe between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and so it calls this this great and dreadful day of the Lord, but we're in this time of awe where all our records need to be cleaned up before Yom Kippur, before the final day, God's great day, the day of the Lord takes place, the judgment day. And so this is uh, right in harmony with that theme of making sure that our records are right, not only before God, but also with one another. That all wrongs have been righted and all wrongs against us have been forgiven and uh, everything on our part is done to make things right. And so let's take a look at the, a portion of this chapter. We'll start in verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. It tells us to remember the law of Moses so that we don't forget it, that we remember it. Now, this is the last chapter in the book of Malachi. And in some Bible versions, it's the last book in the first part of the Bible. Uh, the, uh, in the Tanakh, it's not the, the last book, but it is his, uh, chronologically the last book that was written. And so those who uh, acknowledge both parts of the Bible, uh, this is the last book, and so it's uh, just, just a page before we get to the Gospels and the book of Matthew. And somehow, amazingly, there's some people who think, well, we get to that page, and then the law was supposed to forget it. The law doesn't matter anymore. Well, they just turn one page back, and there's the, uh, the, almost the last verse. <laughs> remember, <laughs> they're only supposed to remember it temporarily. Remember it and then forget it, right? No, remember the law of Moses. Don't forget it. Don't ever forget it. God hasn't forgotten it. He wrote it in stone. He wrote it there for permanency. And uh, not only for this life, but all into eternity, God's laws will remain. God's laws were there in the Garden of Eden before sin. Right? They weren't allowed to steal there and have adultery there, and they did steal, and they did uh, have other gods before them in that sense, and broke a number of the commandments. Uh, the Sabbath was given there, right? And, and remember the law of Moses. Out of the Ten Commandments, there is one law that also uses the word remember, and that word is, that, that commandment is, the Fourth Commandment, right? The Sabbath Commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. And so out of all the ten, one of the ones that's forgotten the most is the one that specifically says to be remembered. And here, remember in general the laws of Moses that I was commanded him at Mount Horeb, talking about uh, where the Ten Commandments were given. So we're not to forget them. They are eternal. And not only that we just see the logic of that, but also here in verse 4, the very next verse, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, when in the time span of our history is the great and dreadful day of the Lord? Is it the beginning? Is it the middle? Is it the one-third? Is it two-thirds? Or is it at the end? Where in the time span of our history is the great and dreadful day of the Lord? It's at the end, right? So here verse 5 is talking about to the end. So do you think verse 4? Also replied to remember the law of Moses that he was given at Mount Oreb all the way to the end as well? Or was there some break there between 4 and 5 that we missed where it says, oh, but now you can forget about what I just told you in verse 4. 
Is that there somewhere? Is it maybe between, reading between the lines? Or is it adding to the Word of God what God has not called to be added in there? Yeah, so verse 4, when the Bible was originally written, there were no verse numbers, right? So they just flow, flow together. 4 and 5 go right together. Remember the law of God that he gave at Mount Hor because the great and dreadful day of the Lord is coming. And it's significant and it's important right to the very end. And as we talked about on Rosh Hashanah, that the, the judgment will be based on, as the Bible says in several places, that we will be judged according to their works. We're saved by grace. We're saved by the blood of Messiah. But the judgment tests whether or not we've taken that salvation to heart and when we've allowed God to cleanse us of our carnal nature through the blood of the Lamb and then allowed him to fill us with his Holy Spirit to give us the power to walk in newness of life, to walk in his ways, to do the works, allow God to do his works in us and through us. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And if he's not doing his good pleasure through us, that only shows that we have not accepted the grace of God in our lives. And so, yes, it flows all together. Remembering the law of God because of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, it's interesting that it says great and dreadful day of the Lord. I, you know, if you ask someone, uh, you know, how's your day going? And they go, great and dreadful. I mean, you think, what are they, schizophrenic? Are they bipolar? What's going on here? <laughs> Have a great and dreadful day of the Lord, you know? Uh, and that, I guess, could happen, right? You know, some, you get, a, get, a, get a promotion, get a raise, and the same day have a, a car accident, right? So it could be great and dreadful in the same day. But how can God call it a great and dreadful day of the Lord? And I guess there I think, two ways to understand this, both of them accurate. It'll be great for those who love his appearing, and it'll be dreadful for those who do not, and they'll be crying for the rocks and the hills to fall on them and to hide them from the wrath of the lamb. I've never seen a really angry lamb, but uh, the, the wrath of the lamb, it's his love poured out that they can't stand, and they're riding and hiding from it. And so a great and dreadful, whether you're a sheep or a goat, whether you're a weed or a tear, will determine whether it's a great day or a dreadful day in your behalf. And the other way is if it has two applications, that this coming of the sending of Elijah the prophet comes twice. And I believe that application is accurate as well as we look in Matthew chapter 17, starting verse 10, the disciples asked him, Yeshua, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Yeshua answered, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Immerser. Okay, so let's look at this again. So the disciples asked Yeshua, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Why were the scribes saying that Elijah must come first before the Messiah? Why were they saying that? The Bible says it. Where does the Bible say it? 
Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It's exactly what we just read, right? So the scribes were quoting from Malachi saying Elijah must come first before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Right? And they were looking at just one great and dreadful day, not seeing two appearances of Messiah. Messiah ben David coming as the suffering, well, Messiah ben Joseph, Joseph coming as a, a suffering servant, and then coming again, really three times, second time as Moshiach ben Aaron, Messiah son of Aaron, or like Aaron as the Kohen Gadol, as the high priest, and then a third time, Moshiach ben David, Messiah son of David, coming as a king. We got those three anointed segments coming, but they were only looked at as one, and so they said, before the Messiah come, Elijah must come first. There's another place where we see this Elijah must come first imagery in the Passover. Now, that tradition in the Passover is based on the Bible text of Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, but we don't have that tradition laid out in the Bible to do that necessarily on Passover, but at Passover we have a place setting for Elijah, and, and then we go and during the Seder and we open the door and we invite Elijah to come in because Elijah needs to come first before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, before the Messiah comes. And just like we sing it um, at Havdalah, right? That the Messiah would come first before Elijah the prophet. And so here, Yeshua, they ask him about Elijah's coming. And Yeshua answered them, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. What tense is that? Is coming, will restore. What tense? Future tense. Very good. All right, we got a smart class here. Very good. Future tense. Right. In the future, he's saying, so this is in Yeshua's day, he's saying that Elijah, now Elijah is already, um, we'll get to that. Uh, but Elijah wasn't standing right there, right? Uh, he's saying, is coming, so that's future tense, and will restore. But then he goes on, verse 12, but I say to you that Elijah has come already. What tense is that? Past, boy, this is a very good, 100%, very good. Right, that's past tense. So he's saying Elijah will come, future tense, and that Elijah has already come, past tense. So how many comings is that, at least? At least two, right? So Yeshua indicates that Elijah would come two different times, one before his first coming, before his first advent, and one before he comes a second time, and a second advent. And so he is coming and it will restore all things. We'll see that when we go back to the book of Malachi. And that he has already come and that he came and suffered and was killed and that it was John the Immerser, that John played that role. Okay? So will the real prophet Elijah return? Will it be a literal Will Elijah the prophet literally come and walk this earth and preach and speak and proclaim the coming of the Messiah? There are some people who look in Revelation at the two witnesses and they think one of them is going to be Elijah and that it's going to be a literal coming of Elijah. But that is inaccurate. The, the, what we're talking about there is the two witnesses is God's witnesses is the law and the prophets. The law and grace. Um, or the first part of the Bible and the second part of the Bible. 
God's witnesses that testify that he's coming and that he came. And the, again, the law and grace, the balance of God's uh, justice and mercy blended together. Those are our two witnesses that have been trampled underfoot, ignored, and crucified. Um, so the symbolism there. So in order to know whether the prophet Elijah will literally come first, we just have to look at how he came the first time. Did he come literally the first time? John chapter 1, verse 21. They asked him, John the Immerser, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Right? So at the first coming, before the, the first Elijah coming, before Messiah came the first time, did a literal Elijah come back to this earth and preach that the Messiah was coming? Was John literally a reincarnation or, a, or a, a, a Elijah in a new form with a new name? Was he Elijah? Literally? No. He says, I'm not. Right? He says, no, I'm not. He wasn't. Right? He was born of Mary, or rather Elizabeth, right? with kind of a miraculous birth. Um, comes on the scene, got a different name. <laughs> You know, grows up as a child, grows up to adulthood, was not Elijah just appearing. Now, we do have an account in the Bible where Elijah did come to this earth and appeared to Yeshua and three of his disciples with Moses. But that was not John. That was Elijah. And he appeared miraculously as an adult, boom, on the stage, talking to Yeshua. Very interesting that God picked those two people to come and minister to Yeshua just before he's preparing to go for the suffering that he's going to experience. And those two people represent two classes of people, the two classes of people, the two classes of saved people of when Yeshua comes. And I believe they came here to encourage him. Don't give up now. <laughs> it's going to get rougher. Uh, but uh, don't, don't give up because otherwise we'll have to leave our place in heaven. We're depending on you and, and all the saved are depending on you. Moses there representing all those who have died and are in the grave and who have been resurrected or will be resurrected because Moses received a special resurrection mentioned in the book of Jude where it says the devil was contending against the Lord with, over the body of Moses. And the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And so God was able to resurrect the body of Moses before the resurrection of the saints. Before the final time. He didn't even get into an argument with him. Satan was trying to resist him. He just said, get behind me. I'm taking him. And God took Moses, that's why Moses is there. Moses is a representative, again, of all who will die and who will be resurrected. And then Elijah, who did not see death, represents those who will be alive and remain. For behold, the Lord will come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Messiah will be rise, raised first, like Moses. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together Moses and Elijah, together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So all the righteous, down through the ages, the dead come up first because they got six feet to catch up with us, and then the rest of us all go together to meet the Lord in the air. The angels, God sends his angels down to collect us and gather us up. Again, the 
wheat into the barns uh, and protect it with him to the mansions that he is preparing for us. And so there he literally came. But in announcing the Messiah, Elijah did not literally come. John came. And so how come Yeshua called John or referred to John as Elijah? It said Elijah has already come, and the disciples understood he was referring to John. The disciples didn't understand that he was referring to Elijah literally, but they understood he was referring to John. So how could John be Elijah and yet not be Elijah? In order to figure that out, we have to go and understand what does it mean to send the prophet Elijah. And so in order to do that, we need to look back at the story of Elijah to understand what God is referring to here. And so to do that, we go to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 6. Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Elijah took his shawl, I believe it was his prayer shawl, his prayer talit, rolled it up and struck the water and it divided. And the two men crossed over on dry ground. And Elijah said, what may I do for you before I am taken away? So they go, they go down to the Jordan River, the very spot where John later comes and is ministering and immerses Yeshua. The very spot where we came over in coming through the wilderness and coming into the land of Canaan. And so they're at that same spot and he says, since you've stayed with me and faithfully stayed with me, what would you like me to do for you before I am taken away from you? Elijah said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And Elijah said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so. But if not, it shall not be so. Right? So Elijah is asking for a double portion of the spirit that was upon Elijah. And Elijah says, well, let's let God decide that. If God lets you see me go up, then, then, then God said you're going to have it. And if he doesn't, then, then that'll be the answer to your prayer request. So verse 11, suddenly a chariot of fire with horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. So Elijah, only the second, second only person who's ever lived who went straight up to heaven without seeing death, Elijah and Enoch, and he goes up to heaven in a whirlwind. Verse 13, Elijah took the shawl, the prayer shawl, the talit of Elijah, that had fallen from him and went back to the Jordan River and Elisha struck the water with the shawl of Elijah saying, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the Jordan parted. Right, so in him saying, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Right, basically he's saying, all right God, did you give me a double portion of Elijah's spirit? Where are you? Are you going to step in? Are you going to do a miracle like you did for him? We parted, you parted the door in the river then. Are you going to do it again now? Are you still, are you with me like you were with him? And it divided, thus God showing and symbolizing that he is. And since he saw Elijah go up, then that meant he received 
a double portion of the spirit that was upon Elijah, right? Did Elijah become Elijah? No. Did he change his name? Did he change his face, right? Did he change his parents? You know, now I got new parents. No, he was still Elijah. But he had the spirit that was upon Elijah. And he continued to do the deeds that Elijah had started and, and had commissioned, and he continued to work. The mantle was passed on to Elisha. And that same mantle, that same calling, was passed on to John. Again, John wasn't literally Elijah, but he had that spirit. He had the same spirit that Elijah had, the same message that Elijah had. What was the message of John? Repent and turn to God because the Messiah is coming. Turn to him before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Come and turn to him before. Come, repent of your sins. Be cleansed, be washed, be purified for his appearing. And he called out sin. He called sin, sin. Even up to the highest ranks. Right? Even the, was it Herod? Your wife is not your brother's, your brother's wife. You should not be with your brother's wife. He was not afraid. No matter, he spoke truth to power. And he ended up getting his head handed to him on a platter. Literally. Pretty gruesome. But he fearlessly, and then he was thrown into prison first. He could have recanted, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I will never do that again. I'll publicly go and say, I shouldn't have done that. I'll bless your marriage. No. He stood for the right, even though it cost him his life. That's the message. That's the spirit of Elijah. Because Elijah also spoke truth to power. Elijah went to the king, King Ahab. It's not going to rain for three and a half years because of your sins and the sins of the people. And Ahab wanted to kill him. And God tucked him away by a river, eating bread from a bird's beak. And then eating bread at a widow's table, going to her, she had nothing, she's ready to die. God miraculously continues her bread and oil. Fearlessly, and then goes back when God says, go back to Ahab. And he goes back and he stands up against all the prophets of Baal. Fearless, bold. That's the spirit of Elijah. That's the message of Elijah. And that's what God is calling for before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so don't be looking for some literal Elijah person, someone coming around with the name Elijah or whatever, or dressed in, in camel hair or something like that. God has called us to receive a double portion of his spirit. God has called us to speak truth. God has called us to speak boldly. The disciples were thrown in prison and beaten. They came out praising God that they were found faithful. And then they went and had a prayer meeting. And then they say, oh, Lord, please don't let that happen to us again. Oh, please don't let us get beaten again. Oh, Lord, help us, protect us. No. He said, Lord, give us boldness to go back. And we cannot help, but we got to share what we have seen and what we have heard. Yeshua is risen. He is the Messiah. He is the living Lord. And they went back, preaching 
and sharing and testifying with the power of the Lord. And what determines how much of the Holy Spirit, this double portion of the Holy Spirit? And I wish I would have brought an, uh, an illustration, but if you have a, a quart jar, how much water can you put into it? A quart? What if it's already filled with sand? How much water can you put in it? Maybe a little bit, right? And if it's half filled already with sand or some other, right? With grape juice, then you can only fill it up halfway with water. So how much we're able to be filled with the Holy Spirit is dependent on how empty we allow God to make us. How much we surrender to him. Every aspect, every area of our life. Not just, oh, at services, not only just around godly people, not only just around our family, but at work, at school, shopping, driving, <laughs> everywhere, we need to be manifesting God's spirit and living godly lives. Surrendering every aspect of what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, our mind, our hearts, our taste buds, our desires, what we eat, what we say, everything surrounded, surrendered to the Lord, emptied of self, self-crucified, dead daily, so he can resurrect us to newness of life, taking out the heart of stone, putting in his heart, writing his laws on our heart, taking out our minds, our desires, and putting, let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua the Messiah. Writing his laws on our mind. Being emptied of self so we can be filled with his spirit. Thus we can receive a double portion, a triple portion, whatever it takes, so that we will have the power of the Lord speaking through us. Not our words, but God's words speaking through us. Not our deeds, not our hands, but God's hands, God's deeds working through us. God's heart loving, caring, thinking about praying for others with God's concern, with God's burden. That's the spirit of Elijah. God's not wanting just one. God's wanting a multitude of Elijah's Spirit of Elijah going forth and sharing, and I believe that's what he's waiting on. A corporate, a unified, one message together going forth, preaching his word and warning the world, not just a community like for Elijah, relatively small community, John, relatively small community, but now God needs to reach the world. He needs all of us being receiving of the double portion of God's spirit that he had on Elijah, that his message will go forth. Whether we get killed, whether we're martyred, whether we live like Elijah did miraculously through it, or whether like John the Baptist we die as martyrs, either way, doesn't matter. We're just passing through here anyway. Not caring about self, not caring about the flesh, not caring about our own personal lives and our own welfare, but fully emptied, fully surrendered to the Lord. Lord, use me. Not afraid of what they think, not afraid of what they say, not afraid of their opinion, not afraid of their acceptance. Preaching the word of God. And that will not be well received by the world. 
It won't even be well received by many professed believers. The law of God is being denied. Natural affections are being denied. The life of a child is being denied as being alive, even by professed believers, whole congregations. But the word of God remains true. The word of God does not change. What was sin was sin and is sin today. What was wrong was wrong and it is still wrong today. What is right in truth is right in truth. Endures forever and God does not change. His mercy endures forever. And his law endures forever as well. In harmony together. In unity together. Mercy and truth kissing each other. On the Ark of the Covenant. Law of God and the mercy seat together. Harmony together. At Calvary, truth paying the price for the law and giving mercy and forgiveness to all who will receive it together. In his death, they were united together and kissed each other. And that's the message that needs to come forth out of our lives. A balance of mercy and truth, of law and grace. Standing for right and righteousness, but with impatient endurance on the part of the saints. Enduring to the end. God has called us to have that Elijah message, that spirit of Elijah. We read Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Very similar, almost parallel, Joel chapter 2, verse 11. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Great and very terrible. Great and dreadful day of the Lord. Day of the Lord, day of the Lord, right? Parallel. Who can endure it? Right? Even the righteous will say, who can endure his coming? He is so bright. He is so good. He is so righteous. None of us deserve heaven. None of us can earn it. None of us are worthy of it. Only by his grace. Only by his love. Only by his sacrifice. Who can stand? We won't be running around saying, I'm Elijah. <laughs> Someone does, run the other way. <laughs> Right? They asked John, are you Elijah? And he said, no. But Yeshua said he was. So why did he say no? I think two reasons. One, he wasn't literally Elijah. But why didn't he know that he had the spirit of Elijah? Why didn't he know that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy? Because John wasn't busy looking in the mirror all day saying, am I Elijah? Do I have the spirit of Elijah? He said, don't worry about me. Stop looking at me. Stop asking me who I am. Look to him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold him. I am just a reed in the wilderness. I'm just a voice in the wilderness. I'm just a voice in the wilderness. 
preparing the way for him. Don't ask me about me. It's not about me. And it's not about you. It never was. It never will be. It's not about us. It's all about God. So if they behead us, well, that's the difference. It's just a shortcut. It's a quick way. That could be a pretty merciful way. <laughs> and whatever, if they beat us and torture us, we're just passing through. It's just the flesh. If they reject us, unfriend us, it doesn't matter. It's never been about us. Our job is to be about God's work, to be about our Father's business. That's what counts. Stop counting how many friends you have and how many likes you have, how many reposts there were, how many people smiled at you today. Get down on your knees and see what God thinks of you. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Loved you with an everlasting love. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's what counts. That's all that matters. Lord, is there anything in my heart that's rejecting you, hurting you, disappointing you, misrepresenting you? Is there anything in my life that's crucifying you afresh? Surrender to him, looking to him. By beholding him, we become changed into his image not beholding ourselves, not comparing ourselves with ourselves, not comparing ourselves with others. But the Bible says those that do that are unwise. It's not a wise thing. It's not building up your self-esteem. It's accepting God's esteem of you, God's estimate of you. And the place to find that and the place to calculate that is at Calvary. That's how much he esteems you. That's how much value you have. That's how much worth you have. That's it, and that's the only place. So who can endure it? Those who are covered with the righteousness of Messiah. Those who are under his wings. Those who are hidden in him. Those who've already died to self and are alive in him. Another parallel text, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, also again says almost the same thing. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of shofar and alarm. Sound the alarm, right? That was our message at Rosh Hashanah. Sound the alarm. Blow the shofar in Zion. So he's saying, blow the shofar. It's a day of shofar and alarm. It's a day of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. It's a day of judgment. And it's not going to be a pretty time. 
Those who say, oh, peace and safety. They're going to say peace and safety. Oh, this is the thousand years of peaceful reign. A false messiah will appear and all the world will wander after the beast. And oh, it'll all be, oh, they're all together, all singing kumbaya together. And it'll seem like peace and safety. Let's all join together. This is the reign of thousand years. This is the millennium. This is the reign of Messiah. He'll be a false Messiah. Because the Bible says it is a day when the mighty men will cry. It'll be a bitter day. A day of wrath. A day of trouble. A day of distress. A day of devastation and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. It's going to get worse. We haven't seen anything. A time of trouble such as the world has never seen. I don't like to talk about that. We don't like to hear about that, but we need to be warned. If we're not warned, then we won't be prepared. We'll be deceived. We'll be caught off guard. And when the plagues start falling, we won't know what's happening. And we remained anciently in the land of Goshen, in Egypt, while the plagues were falling. God protected his people from the seven last of the ten plagues. And God will protect his people, but we will still be here. It will not be a pretty time. But the wicked will blame the righteous, just like Ahab blamed Elijah. You troubler of Israel, it hasn't rained here for three and a half years because of you, because of your prophecy, because of your preaching. What did Elijah say? Oh, I'm sorry. Don't fire me. I'll do whatever you say, just don't fire me. He said, I'm not a troubler of Israel. You're the troubler of Israel. You and your house, your sins, your Jezebel wife. You have led Israel down. You have led the people down. You have deceived the people with your falsehoods and lies. Boldness of Elijah. That's the parallel. That's the coming of the Lord. That's what John did. That's what God's calling his people to do. To call out sin. Well, they're blaming us that their millennial of peace is not working out so great. When the sky starts falling and the day of gloominess and darkness and devastation and distress start taking place. It's the sins of this world that will bring the calamities on this world. And we will still be living as living testimonies like Abraham praying, if there's even 10 righteous there, will you destroy the city? No, I won't destroy the city for even 10 righteous. Be interceding. Praying for the land, praying for the people with love and with mercy and yet still standing by the word of truth. It's going to get dark. But God will see us through. He saw Elijah miraculously through time and time again. And God will see us through. Or God let John die. And that's okay too. God saw Daniel through. 
Daniel, I, I won't eat that stuff. I won't eat the king's food. You can kill us. We're not going to eat the king's food. I'm not going to stop praying. You can throw me in the lion's den and God preserved him. His friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we're not going to bow down to your statue, O king. Our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, if he lets us burn in your fire, that's okay too. We're still not going to bow down to your statue. That's the spirit of Elijah. That's the message of Elijah. And God spared them and stood with them. So some he lets get sawn in half, others he spared. Either way, it doesn't matter. Our goal is not this earth. Our goal is not retirement here. Our goal is not a ticky-tacky house on a, on a postage stamp piece of property. Our goal is heaven. Mansions in eternity. And inheriting all the world. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. Walking on the streets of gold with Yeshua. That's our inheritance. That's our goal. And the quicker we can get there, by God's grace, and bring as many people with us as possible, that's what it's about. And if the dying brings more people in, then so be it. Saul might not have become Paul if it wasn't for Stephen willing to die. And dying faithfully. Forgive them for what they are doing. And looking up to heaven. Not looking at others, not looking at self, but looked up to heaven. I see Yeshua standing at the right hand of the Father, or seated, I forget which one, at the right hand of the Father. That'll give us a vision of heaven. And others will come to the Lord. Either way, it's okay. Whether we suffer, whether we die, whether we are sustained, either way, no matter what. As long as God gets the honor and glory, he's calling for us to receive of his spirit, to receive of his power. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. That's what this double portion of the Holy Spirit's for. It's for the power to testify. It's the power to live. It's the power to obey. It's the power to shine. Not for self-indulgence. Oh, talking about this, okay. Forgot to put that in there. All right, so day of shofar and alarm. And, and it made me think of uh, an old movie, uh, Gunger Din. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Gunger Din was a poem originally back in 1890 by uh, Rufford Kipling. Right. And it was about uh, the British war with India and uh, colonialism and all that with... Uh, the British soldier, uh, there's this uh, Indian water boy, or water man, whatever, he's bringing water to the, to, the, to the troops, and he's looking down, and the soldier's looking down on him, prejudiced and, you know, racist, and looking down on him. Uh, and then the, the soldier gets uh, wounded in battle. And the one who brings him water that sustains him and helps him is that water boy. And he said it was the it was muddy and horrible, but it was the best tasting water he ever drank. And then that same water boy carried him to safety. And in carrying him to safety, and Jim Croce sings a beautiful rendition of the poem in a song, 
that he did. That water boy carries the man to safety and saves his life. And in doing so, he gets shot, the water boy, and the water boy dies. And the soldier says, you're a greater man than I am, Gunger Din. Well, then in 1939, a movie was made, kind of based on that same kind of poem, that same kind of theory, theme. So it's the British, again, fighting against not just the Indians, but in India there was a, a cult uh, that was a murderous religious cult. Their, their whole goal was just murder, 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 kill, kill, kill. And it's based on that true account that, they, that this group uh, wasn't in the, I don't know if they're still there, uh, religious gang cult, their, their whole thing was just kill everybody. And whether that one's still there, there are ones still in the world today that that's basically their ideology, kill everybody who's not like them. And so they're fighting against that group, and there's Gunga Din, and he wants to be a British soldier, and uh, they resist making him a British soldier, and, uh, and so he's a water boy, and uh, they let him be a, you know, with the group and with the, with the soldiers, and uh, then they make him a, uh, a trumpeter. So here's this scene where the, uh, uh, the, the Indians, not cowboy Indians, but the not American Indians, but uh, the Indian Indians of this group of murderous killers uh, are ambushing the British soldiers as the British are marching in. And that's then uh, Gunga Din, you'll see him climbing to the top of the, I think it's the temple of that religion or whatever. So that's where the scene picks up. And so in light of the sound the alarm, sound the shofar.
So Gungar Din, in his death, blowing the trumpet, sounding the alarm, warning the people, saves the day, and they're able to go and surround the, the enemy and defeat them. Satan is wanting to ambush us. Satan is creeping like a roaring lion, waiting to pounce upon God's people. The devil knows his time is short, and he wants to take down as many as possible, and at the risk of our lives. We need to sound the alarm, blow the shofar, warn the people, get ready, get ready, get ready. Remember the law of Moses. Receive the Messiah's grace. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his cleansing. Receive his sacrifice. Be filled with his spirit. Join God's forces. Filled with the double portion. And join us in warning the world and pointing to Yeshua. That's our calling. That's why we're alive. That's it, and that's the only reason. That's why we're here. That's your purpose, to warn this world. Behold, the day I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse 6, the last verse in the first part of the Bible. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Part of the Elijah message is a calling for reconciliation. God has given us a ministry of reconciliation, of coming together, putting away differences, uniting in God's word and God's truth. Now, Yeshua said that there's coming a time, and it will be, that sons will betray the fathers, and fathers will betray sons, and daughters will betray mothers, and mothers will betray daughters, and siblings will betray each other. So which is it? Is there going to be a betraying of each other? Or is there going to be a coming together and hearts of the children and the fathers being united together? Yes? Both. We'll see both things happening. We'll see both things happening. Because it says here, least I come and strike the earth. So send forth that message. Turn the hearts. Right? Elijah will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Unless, least, if they don't, then I will have to curse the earth. I will have to strike the earth with a curse. With a day of gloominess, a day of darkness the day of judgment. And so because people will not receive the message, some will, but the majority won't. The majority did not receive John. The majority did not receive Elijah. The majority won't. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow and straight, and few there be that enter into the gates of heaven. God has called us to warn the world and a message of reconciliation. And again, that's what the 10 days of awe is about. 
being right with God, the Heavenly Father. Is there any wrong between us? Unite us together, and that's certainly one application, that he's going to unite the children with the Father, the Heavenly Father. He's going to unite us with him. He's going to reconcile us, a day of atonement, of at one He's going to make us at one with him again, unified with him again, the separation gone, the separation that has been brought about by sin, the separation that started with Eve and Adam, disobeying God and rejecting God and following Lucifer. Bridging that gap, Yeshua, bridging that gap, bringing the children of God to the Father, the Heavenly Father, uniting us together with Him. Covering us with His life, with His righteousness. That God sees us in seeing, God sees us covered in Yeshua. He sees Yeshua in us. And then we see Him, we see the Father. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face. He's calling us to unite people to the Heavenly Father. Not as a father of gloom and rules and mean and judgmental. As Yeshua said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're one, they're the same. Reconciling with the true God, the Heavenly God, the Creator God. As well as a calling for unity. Again, the ten days of awe. Not only right with God, first four commandments, loving God, the last six commandments, loving our neighbor as ourself. If anyone, if you have anything against anyone, now is the time to ask God to take away all the bitterness, the hurt, the anger, the resentment, and surrender it to the Lord. Receive his forgiveness because of the blood of the Messiah. And because of the blood of Messiah, God will give us the ability to forgive those who've hurt us, who've despitefully used us. Like again, uh, Stephen, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Like Yeshua, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Lay not this charge against them. Again, that's not an open invitation for people to continue to abuse us. It's a rebuke. Do not do it again. I forgive you. I'm not going to be angry at you, but I'm not going to let you do it again. You may have to go to jail. You may have to pay me back. You may have to, whatever. But you may never be able to see each other again, but I'm not going to be angry. I forgive you. I'm not going to hold on to bitterness, surrendering it all. And where reconciliation can take place, reconciliation taking place. Or, as the scriptures say, if someone has anything against us, Leave your gift at the altar and go and make it right with them. Do everything on our part to be at peace with all people. And so if anyone doesn't like you, if anyone hates you, if anyone thinks that you did something wrong to them, do whatever you can on your part to reconcile. Within reason, within righteousness, right? You don't want to falsely confess to something you didn't do or whatever, but do everything we can on our part. to reconcile, and to be at peace. That's part of the message of Elijah. That's part of what has to happen in the last days. That's part of what's supposed to happen on the ten days of all. If you have any debts owed, outstanding, any promises you made that you didn't fulfill, make it right. Go apologize. Get caught up. Be right with God. Be right with our fellow humanity.
in the hearts of the fathers to the hearts of the children, and to children to their fathers. God gave the law, God gave the word of God to the Jewish people to share with the world. That's an illustration of the children, the Jews and Gentiles. God's calling for a reconciliation, a unity of Jew and Gentile together, one in Messiah, united together. And God is doing that in these last days. It doesn't mean it'll ever be full. It doesn't mean it'll ever be complete. That's why it says, least I come and strike the earth with a curse. But that's part of the message of a reconciling of everything. Not in compromise, but in truth. Not ignoring the word of God, not ignoring truths, but in truth, God calls us to be united together in one, in him. Like the Havdalah candle, united together, blended together, burning together, brightly with the Lord. Like the body, one like the temple, Yeshua, the chief cornerstone, fit stones, united together, fit together, all together. That's one of the messages God has for us. We're rebuking against sin, repent, turn from our sins, turn to the Lord, and a message of reconciliation. And so, as we prepare to pray in a moment, if there's any area in your life where you're not in unity with God. If there's any sin still on your record, any separation between you and him, anything that's not right, anything on your record book, now confess it before the Lord. Give it over to him. Let him blot it out and remove it. Let him cover it in his blood. Let him forgive you. Let him give you his spirit to give you victory, changed heart, changed desires, new life. Secondly, if you have anything against anyone on earth, Holy Spirit's bringing anyone to mind, past or present, do all on your part, write a letter if you have to, or whatever, call, make it right. Or if anyone has anything against you, rightly or wrongly, do what you can to try and clear it up, reconcile it, Try and make it right. If you want to receive a double portion of God's Spirit, you're willing to say, Lord, empty me so that you can fill me. You're willing to surrender all. God's revealing some area of your life that is not sanctified, that has not been given over to the Lord, is not being made holy. Maybe your time, maybe your finances, maybe some aspect of your life. Maybe your talents, maybe your desires, maybe your interests, activities, hobbies. Maybe there's some area in your life that's not surrendered to the Lord. Like the young man who came to the Lord. I, I'm a bit all things. You should have said just one area you're lacking. Is there one area that's not surrendered? We need to be fully filled, double portion of his spirit. You're willing to let God reveal any area in your life in a moment when we pray? You say, Lord, search me and try me, see if there any, be any wicked way in me. If he's bringing a specific area to your mind, then surrender it to him. Let him remove that and give you his peace and his presence. Allow him to fill that area with his Holy Spirit.
think we're up to fifth. Fifth, if, if you're willing to receive the double portion and be his Elijah, you're willing to say, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, touch my lips with a coal off your altar. Under the burning flesh of the sacrifice. Touch me. Speak through me. Live through me. Take my hands, take my feet, take my talents, use me so that more people will be in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, give me a double portion of your spirit. If you're willing to pray that, in a moment when we pray, ask God to give you that. If you'd like the boldness of the Lord, ask God to give me boldness to speak truth and to live truth. Speak truth, even the power. Be able to stand and endure to the end. Like an Elijah, like a John, like a Daniel, like a Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Like Moses going before Pharaoh. Lord, give me the ability to stand when I'm brought before the courts to testify for you and not fold. Then a moment when we pray, ask God to give you that spirit to endure, that extra oil. There's a double portion there also. That extra oil. They all, the ten virgins, all had one, but they didn't have the extra. They didn't have the double portion. We need the double portion to see us through to the end. Or if reading about these last day events, the time of trouble, dread of darkness, of gloom, day of desolation, a day of destruction, that makes you fearful. If you're afraid, surrender the fear to the Lord. If you're afraid of witnessing, you're afraid of standing for right, you're afraid of going and asking forgiveness to someone, you're afraid of going and telling someone you forgive them, if you're afraid, you're afraid of the ministry of reconciliation, you're afraid of trying to interact with others, if you're afraid of these last day events, if you're afraid of the devil, then give it over to the Lord. You have nothing to fear. He says, fear not, over and over again. Fear not. I am with you. He is with us. We have nothing to fear. All those examples we gave, they went fear fearlessly. They had real fears. They had real issues. Pharaoh was pretty strong. <laughs> the Egyptian army was pretty strong. Babylon was pretty strong. Nebuchadnezzar was pretty strong. Ahab was pretty strong. Herod was pretty strong, but they didn't fear. We don't have to be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear. There will be real issues, but we don't have to fear them because we're not a part of this earth. Our minds are in heaven. Our hearts are in heaven. Look unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. Ask him to give you faith. Ask him to give you more faith. Ask him to remove the fear, to give you love, to give you power, to give you a sound mind, to give you faith, to give you trust, to see you through to the end. So if any of those areas apply to you, or maybe some other area, let God do his mighty work. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, Lord, we are thankful for these faithful people down through the ages who stood and sounded the trumpet and sounded the alarm. Use us, Lord, in these last days with a special sound, with a certain sound, with a certain musical note that they know that they hear your voice, that they hear that it's from you. Give us a message of repentance. Give us a message of reconciliation. 
to come at one with you, to be atoned, and to be right with you. Give us your spirit, give us your boldness, give us your life, come and live inside us. Give us your spirit, give us a double portion of your spirit. Convict us, reveal to us, and remove it from us, any sin, anything that's not of you. Through the blood of the Lamb. And then fill that empty space with your spirit. To overflowing, pour it out of us. In love, mercy, and tenderness, and kindness, and faithfulness, and truthfulness, in righteousness. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.